Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, the message I have for you tonight, if you're taking notes, the title is called Keep Going Back to God's Love. And um, God um, just kind of spoke this to me um, recently. I was talking to one of our worship leaders, to Aaron Skaggs, after a practice. And um, um, we are just talking about how important it is to really understand God's love, to have a revelation of it. But not only that, but to just keep going back to it. And I told him just so many times throughout my life, uh, man, just, just, just keep going back to that place of God's love, that, that place of knowing that he loves you unconditionally, and that's why he gave Jesus for you. That has to be just the foundation of your faith, the foundation of your life. And you need to keep going back to that. Um, I've been pastoring now for eight years, exactly, on March 1st. I've been pastoring eight years, but I see that's, you're welcome. Anyways, um, but I've just seen, uh, it's really easy for people to get away from grace, to get away from the true gospel, to get away from God's love and think that it's just some kind of rudimentary, some kind of basic thing and, and just go on into really works, into performance or into judging other people. And man, that's, that's not the place you want to go. You want to go from grace to grace, keep growing in grace, keep going, growing in God's love. And um, that's how you grow. So my first point is this, to grow, you have to be rooted in God's love, period. That's how you grow. So let's look at Ephesians 3. We'll start in verse 14. And I want to talk about growing. And I've just seen this in um, you know, various ministers that I really look up to. Uh, ministers that I really look up to, as they grow in their ministries, they grow in their teaching, um, I just see they, they always go back to teaching and ministering on God's love. And I know it's a fa- very foundational thing for them. Um, so Ephesians 3.14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And I love this. This is one of the most powerful prayers in the New Testament. Paul prays that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to grow you. He wants to expand you through his spirit in the inner man. There is an inner man. When my dad was a teenager, he got a hold of this book by E.W. Kenyon called The Hidden Man of the Heart, and it changed his life because he knew there is a hidden man inside of us. That's, that's what changes. That's what grows with God. That's what Paul is praying for, that hidden man in your heart for his spirit to strengthen you there. In verse 17, he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. You have to be rooted and grounded in love. You don't want to go away from God's love. That has to be your foundation. Not only that, that is what you are rooted and grounded in. It is so important that it is, it is, it is everywhere inside of you. As I was kind of talking to Aaron Skaggs about this, and God just told me, you know, just you keep going back to his love. I remember when I was 18, I, I went to school in Pittsburgh. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't, um, I didn't know of any churches there, so I had to kind of look around and, and try to find a church, and I didn't have a car, um, so it was a little difficult to get around the city. I'd have to rely upon um, public transportation on Sunday mornings, which wasn't the greatest, but I, um, there was a pretty big church um, that, that was easy for me to get to. I, I went there a few times, but the, the third time I went there, they had a guest minister come in, and um, he, he, he was preaching on a good topic, but in doing so, he was actually preaching against God's love. And just something just really broke, broke my heart. I was so upset that someone would preach against God's love. He said to, to really live the best life, to, to, to live holy, to, to be right with God. Um, if you're too focused on his love, it'll just make you think you can live a sloppy life. And it's the fear of God that's going to keep you on track. And it, I, I love, you know, having a healthy reverence and fear and awe of God. But you don't preach against the love of God. You just don't do that. And, um, um, but, but it's, it's very easy for, for people to, to get off on that. I remember, like, taking the, the bus um, back to school. There were people on the bus who had been at the service, and they were, they were just all just, just really amening this message. And, um, man, you don't want to go away from God's love ever. And, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, just my own relationships, and um, man, when you really love someone, you want to demonstrate it to them. You're not going to treat them poorly. You're not going to just go 
be unkind and cheat on people and, and be ugly towards people if you really love them. You know, and, and um, just in a family setting, I'm thinking about my own children. As I've raised Fisher now for, for five years, he's 10 years old now, he, he has a very healthy respect towards me and his mother, but I know that grows out of his love for us. Like, they're, they're, they're connected. And um, I, I really see that in relationships. You don't, you don't go and preach against the love of God. And um, this minister kind of told a story that, that gave him this revelation that, that the, you know, the love of God will actually cause you to live a, a sloppy life. And he mentioned that he um, you know, went to a federal um, prison and visited a very famous minister who had screwed up and actually got put in prison for a number of years. And, and when he was asking him, you know, what, what happened with your walk with God? You know, I really looked up to you. And, you know, what happened? When did you fall out of love with Jesus? And this, this con artist of a minister said, well, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I fell out of the fear of the Lord. And, and I thought this is kind of silly that, that just some skeezball minister, you know, gives you this great revelation. You know, if you're going to have revelation, it needs to come from the Bible, not, not from from a person, and uh, you know, especially someone who's been arrested in, in prison for not living the greatest life. Um, so I'm thankful that at Curious Christian Center you will not hear a message that is, you know, when we preach against the love of God or against the grace of God. Um, amen. And um, it, it needs to be communicated because I know that Paul had to communicate it often and that Jesus had to communicate it often as well. You, know, you notice Paul here is praying for the Ephesian church that they'd be rooted and grounded in love. This is, this is so essential. Paul knew this was so essential for that church there at Ephesus. We'll be talking about, a little bit about this church at Ephesus. I want you to be rooted and grounded in love and from there you'll be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who here wants to be filled with all the fullness of God? You don't do that apart from, from growing in love with God. Man, you have to be rooted and grounded in it. It has to be, if your focus is, is outside of it, if your focus is on yourself, on your own performance, if your relationship with God is based upon your own emotions, your own actions, your own feelings, your own performance, your own works, that's going to be very inconsistent. Even if you're a, consi a consistent person, there are inconsistencies in your life. There are inconsistencies in your mood. There are inconsistencies in your actions at times. Even the most holy of holy people, I guarantee that, I guarantee even some of the greatest people that you really, got, really look up to, if you saw them in their worst moment, you, you might not like them as much. If, the, if your focus is on yourself, it's going to be inconsistent. If your focus, man, and if, and if you're getting into a works type of focus, a performance type of focus, a legalistic type of focus, that's going to create a very inconsistent walk with the Lord. Also, it's going to lead to you focusing on the performance of others. Legalism will, will, will cause you to focus on others looking at the wrong things. If your focus is on others and what they're doing or, or the, the lack of what you think they're doing, man, you're, you're going to have an inconsistent, you know, love walk with the Lord. You're really cutting off your roots. You're really cutting off... Um, your nutrients that helps you grow in that fullness of God. I, I don't want to cut off my roots. I want to stay planted and rooted and grounded in God's love. That's what is constant. God's love is always constant. That is, that is the most constant force in the universe. Your entire life needs to base, be based upon that. So to grow in the fullness of God, now look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And I believe that power is from being rooted and grounded in your relationship with God, rooted and grounded in his love for you, to keep going back to his love for you. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I believe that God has an abundant life. Jesus said, I, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. How many of you want to live that abundant life? And I believe many of you are, are walking in that. You've tapped into it, and there is still more to grow in that. Jesus has an abundant life for you. He wants to go beyond what you ask or think, what you even imagine or dream about. 
And it happens as much as you allow his power to work in you, but you have to keep going back to his love for you. Amen? Now notice, Paul is praying this to the church at Ephesus. Later on um, in Revelation, Jesus had a message to several different churches in the book of Revelation. The first message that Jesus delivered was to the church at Ephesus. Let's look at it here in Revelation 2, verse 1. The, the, the message that Jesus had to the pastor, to the angel, to the messenger of Ephesus was what I'm saying right now. You need to keep going back to God's love. It can't be about performance. It can't be about works. These things are good. They're, they're okay. But if you're missing the main point, you're going to get off track. And Jesus um, delivered a pretty um, stern message toward the church at Ephesus. So in Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel or to the messenger, even the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. I know your works. So Jesus said, I can see your works. He probably mentioned that first because they, they probably got into a very works-focused type church, a very, a very performance-driven type church. I know your works. I know your labor. And these aren't bad things, but if you're missing the main point, then you're getting off track. I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, and I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. This sounds like someone who's getting a little focused on the legalistic side of things. You're focused on those who who are evil, and evil evil things bother me as well. I know they bother Jesus because he mentions it later here in this message. He said, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Jesus doesn't like liars to be in top leadership positions either. I know Pastor Lawson doesn't like it. Jesus doesn't like it. You know, this church at Ephesus didn't like it. Verse 3, he said, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So they, they were really working hard at what they were doing. But he says this in verse 4. This, this is the, the really important thing here. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You're doing great things. You, you're, you're looking for the right fruit in leaders. You, you've tested apostles out. You've found some people to be liars, to be to be." you know, scammers, and you've gotten rid of them, good for you, but you have left your first love. He said somewhere along the way, you started out as a Mary church, but you became a Martha church. You've lost the, the, the better part. Jesus had a message for Martha. You need to be more like Mary. You know, Ephesus, they started out like Mary, but they've turned into a Martha. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, This sounds a lot like some of the words that that the Apostle Paul wrote, fallen from grace. Fallen from grace isn't talking about about becoming a, a cheater and scamming people and going to jail as a minister. Fallen from grace talks about going towards legalism. And basing your relationship upon with God based upon performance rather than upon the finished work of Jesus. So Jesus here is saying the same thing. You have fallen. And it wasn't because their works were wrong. It's because their relationship was out of order. They were works focused. They were focused on their performance. They weren't focused on God's love for them. You've left your first love and that's what caused you to fall. And he said, repent and do the first works. What's the first work? To just be in love with Jesus. To rest in his love. Labor to enter his love. That's the greatest work of the believer is to to enter his love, to just enter his rest, to enter that place of trust where it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. Do those first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I find this really interesting in verse 6. You know, when people say, well, we shouldn't focus on love so much, we shouldn't focus on grace so much, we need to talk about, we need to put the focus on on what you have to do to be right before God. And if we don't do that, if we don't put the the focus on on people's works, on people's performance, on people's actions, if 
If that's not the focus, then they're going to get off track. They're going to compromise. But Jesus here says something interesting. He's talking about, about really going back to that first place of love. And from there, from understanding God's love for you, that's going to protect you from compromise. So he brings up the, the, the Nicolaitans here. The Nicolaitans was a group of people that, that, that preached this doctrine of compromise. Focusing on grace will not cause you to compromise. But this you have, verse 6, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus hates compromise. I want to talk a little bit about the Nicolaitan, this doctrine of compromise. That spirit behind it was in existence in the first century church. That spirit behind it is still in existence today. So who are the Nicolaitans? Um, Nicolaitan comes from two Greek words, Nike, Nike. Like, uh, my wife is wearing Nike shoes tonight. Natalie, are you wearing Nike shoes? No. They're white. They look kind of Nike-ish. No, they're some other kind of shoe. Those white Nikes are really popular amongst the young people these days. Those Air Force Ones. Nike, it means to conquer. And, and laos, it, it, it's, it's the word laity, just the, the, the people of the church. The Nicolaitan doctrine was to conquer or subdue the lady, the, the people of the church, conquering and subduing the people of God. It was a heretical group that taught that there was nothing wrong with serving Christ and participating in pagan practices. You can go to the temples of Zeus. Heather and I went to Pompeii, a very pagan city. You know, it was uh, um, Mount Vesuvius erupted in in the, first, the late first century, is like around 80 or 90 AD, around this time. And it's a very pagan place. If you go walk around, it's been covered in ash for centuries and, and, and unburied. So you get a, a picture of just what, what pagan places looked like in that time. And it's very similar to what pagan places look like in this time. There's nothing new under the sun. But, but you go there, and there's these temples to Zeus and temples to, you know, Diana and, and um, just, just brothels and temples to, to, to LGBTQ stuff. And um, so the heretical group said there's nothing wrong with serving Christ and also participating in pagan practices. It was a doc- doctrine of compromise, just trying to get along with the world. Nicolaitanism today looks like this. And I'm going to spell it out. Um, in Aaron, Aaron Purdue's definition, there's no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. You need to be inclusive. It does away with the notion of sin. There really is no sin and therefore no need of repentance. There is no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. We must be progressive. The Bible is too exclusive. It is not a guide to absolute truth, but just a source of inspiration. Um, the basic tenets are not known by many church members, such as the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, salvation, holiness, and eternal judgment. There is no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical authority. Um, You must be open-minded. Today, more than 50% of so-called evangelical Christians don't believe in absolute truth. There is no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. Heather and I just flew to um, Phoenix on Friday and Saturday to hear Joyce Meyer uh, minister. Heather um, listens to some of her messages and wanted to go hear teaching. And Joyce Meyer kind of mentioned this, that, that she read a, heard a statistic that 50% of Christians today in America don't believe in hell. So right now she's writing a book on, is there a hell? And she said, yes, baby, you better believe it. A devil. 50% of the church doesn't believe in the devil which also I think that same 50% wouldn't believe in hell either. It's probably the same 50% that I'm mentioning that doesn't believe there is an absolute truth. No exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. We must be tolerant. Everyone has a piece of truth, your truth. Christianity is a truth among many truths. It leads to universalism. Everyone and everything will be reconciled to God. Every person should be able to find their own way. Believing that Christ alone is the way to heaven is intolerant. Jesus hated this. And he was telling the, the church at Ephesus to go, to go back, to get out of legalism, get, back, get out of just focusing on works, and really go back to that emphasis on love, that emphasis on, on the finished work of the cross, that emphasis on the gospel of grace. 
where it's not about you. It's all about what Jesus has done for us at the cross. It's about God's love for us. So if Jesus was worried about them compromising, he wouldn't have told them to, to focus on love. Does this make sense? Say yes, Pastor Aaron. That makes a lot of sense. And I hope some of you have an ear to hear. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen? So emphasizing God's love for you will not cause you to compromise. You need to keep going back to God's love, keep going back to grace, keep going back to what Jesus has done for you. It will not cause you to compromise. It will actually draw you closer to God. Teaching the gospel of grace will not cause people to sin. True grace preaching and teaching will cause you to turn away from the world and to keep drawing closer to Jesus. The true gospel will keep going back to God's love, period. Amen? Next point. God's love proves that you are not a failure. The enemy constantly tries to lie to people, try to convince people, try to accuse people, try to deceive people into thinking that they are a failure. I guarantee every single person here tonight, myself included, people watching right now, at some point the enemy has tried to ransack your mind into thinking that you are a complete failure. He is known as the accuser of the brethren. That is all he does is try to accuse people and make you feel like a failure. Revelation 12 verse 11 said this is how we overcome that accuser of the brethren. We overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. God's love proves, the blood of Jesus proves that you are not a failure. That you are actually created and given more than enough to have that abundant life to succeed and to be uh, victorious in life. God's love is what makes you victorious. God's love proves that you are not a failure. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll start in verse 1. Man, I love 1 Corinthians 13. Every time I, I read it or hear it, God just speaks to me and said, Aaron, this is your job description as a pastor. And I want everyone here who thinks of themselves as a minister, which really all of you are called to the ministry of the gospel. Pastors, Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, the fivefold ministry, it's our job to equip the saints. Who here is a saint? If you don't think you're a saint, it's because you've been listening to the wrong type of teaching. And it's a good thing you're here on a Wednesday night. If you have Jesus on the inside of you, you are a saint. You've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from sin into sainthood. You are a saint, and you are the, the fivefold ministry. We are, we are to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. So I'm talking about how we minister to people and what the true gospel is. It's not about a focus on you, it's a focus on what God has done for you and how much he loves you. Does that make sense? And if people never really mention that, and certainly if they're preaching against it, they don't understand the gospel. They might be saved because they believe on Jesus and they made him their Lord, but they don't really understand what the gospel is and the true power of the gospel. Amen? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. So here in a, couple, in a few verses, I'll tell you what your job description is as ministers of the true gospel, the gospel of God's unconditional love, of his grace, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation means there is an exchange. Our sin went to Jesus and his righteousness came to us. So that ministry of reconciliation, that message of recon reconciliation, God wants to reconcile everyone to himself. He wants everyone to be righteous. And it's through the, the, the finished work of Jesus. It's through the sacrifice of Jesus. He took his sins upon you at the cross. That way you might receive his righteousness. You are either a sinner or you are a saint. You can't be both. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels... Some of these ministers who don't really understand what the true gospel is, they might speak 
with tongues of men and of angels. This is talking about someone who's a really fantastic communicator. They are very charismatic, very charming, have a large influence, might even have New York Times bestsellers, might have millions of people that, that buy into their message because they're such a great communicator. They might have tongues of men and of angels, but they do not understand love. The, God's love isn't the, mo- the motivation behind what they're preaching. If they don't have love, he said, he said this. Paul the Apostle said, if I don't have love, even if I'm speaking with tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I just felt, like I'm a musician, I have a doctorate in music, and I felt like I should do my, you know, justice and look up these words, these musical words in the Greek. You know, put my scholarship to, to good use, Dr. Reverend Dr. Aaron Perdue. I spent many, many hours in the, you know, the, the library at Rice University, and I, I hated every hour of digging through these encyclopedias, looking up random things, but I actually enjoyed looking this up. Sounding brass, that word for sounding, this is kind of interesting. Both the word for sounding and that word for clanging are, are used only twice in Scripture. Sounding brass, the word sounding, it's um, echo. It sounds like echo. It's saying you, you aren't even the original deal. You're just a reverberation. People who don't have love and they're just preaching legalism, you're not even, you think you're original, you think you have some great revelation, but you don't. You're empty. You're just an echo. <laughs> clanging symbol, the word clanging. I love this word. This is kind of interesting. It's a very unique Greek word. Alalazo. Alalazo. And that word comes from a, a word that, that soldiers used to yell when they were fighting. They didn't know what to say. And they used to go, alalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
And I thank God that we do. I was thinking about feeding the poor. You know, we support a ministry, Julie Mapatona's ministry, that feeds a thousand single moms and children and orphans every day in Congo. I'm so thankful for we do things like that. But here he says, if, if you don't do it out of love, it profits you nothing. Some people just do these things because it looks good. And they actually do it to, to manipulate people. And they're not very genuine in what they're doing. Verse four, this is powerful. This is your, your job description as a minister of the gospel. To, to, to just keep going back to God's love and expressing love to other people in this way. Love suffers long and is kind. And when I think about suffering long, about patience, love, love is patient. Love, love is incredibly long-lasting and consistent. Man, God keeps bringing back, me back to that word consistent and also kind. Heather and I, you know, we have a three-year-old daughter, and, and we're looking out for her. We, we buy her nice toys like Sugar Horse here. This isn't my illustration yet. I'm not at the end yet. But we're talking about, about what to look for in a potential husband someday. And number one, I want, I want you know, a man who, who loves God, who, who believes on Jesus. But secondly, I think this might be the second most important thing, is just a, a man who is a kind person. I've, I've, known, I've known some ministers who, who are great people, have great influence, great speakers, all these things, but they're not really kind behind the scenes. And I thought, man, just, just don't be a jerk. Just be kind. Just don't be a jerk. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Man, love, love doesn't cause you to envy. Love, love actually brings you into a place of, of thankfulness. Man, of... of um, where you're content. You can believe God for more. You can believe God and, and have faith, but you're also content and very thankful for whatever God has done and where you're at right now. Man, a lot of people are discontent, and it doesn't really matter what you do for them or what God does for them. They'll still be discontent. Man, love will cause you to, to just be incredibly thankful, incredibly content. Love does not parade. It's, and and, and um, people who get discontent, a lot of legalistic people can be very discontent very discontent with themselves, very discontent with people close to them, very discontent with church leaders, people at church, they, they, they just, very discontent. Legalism leads to discontentment. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself. It's not parading itself, it's not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Sometimes these things can get you in trouble because if love is not thinking evil, you're going to be looking for, for the best in people. And sometimes that might end up hurting you. You might get stabbed in the back, but God will always protect you. His love will always restore you very quickly, very rapidly, and, and you'll come back to a place greater than you thought. Imagine, even if you were backstabbed by just thinking the best in somebody. That's a really good word. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I was thinking about this, love, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't really talk about it. It doesn't just focus on people's sin, on people's shortcomings. It doesn't just really mention it a lot. I was thinking about something I heard Mark Hankins share about um, Kenneth Hagin. A reporter came to Kenneth Hagin right after the time of one of these great ministers, I think is the same one that got arrested and thrown in jail. And um, reporters were wanting to ask all these other famous ministers, all these other famous televangelists, what do you think about this guy? And a lot of them just used that chance to just beat down on that guy. That guy, you know, he's a crook. He's this and that. Give to me instead. But Kenneth Hagin, he, he actually just said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not here to judge him. I'm not going to say anything negative about him. I'm just here to, to do what God's called me to do. And he just left it at that. I thought, man, that, that, that's a statement of, of a true apostle, a true minister who knows God's love. He's not going to rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Say, love never fails. God's love proves that you're not a failure. That's a great word for someone here tonight. Man, keep going back to God's love. If you feel like you're a failure, if the enemy has just got you to this point where you're just very hard on yourself, you just think you're not doing enough, you're just very... And just keep going back to God's love. And he'll show you that you're not a failure. You're actually victorious. He loves you. And not only that, he actually rejoices over you. He's very happy about you. Amen?
Um, God's love will also bring you into a place of true freedom. Freedom. Let's look at Galatians 5, um, 1 through 6. And here in Galatians 5, a lot of people like to pull this um, a certain scripture here out of context without really understanding what it's saying. If you notice what I'm doing tonight, every, every time I'm sharing a, a, a scripture, I'm actually giving you a good chunk of scripture. I want you to see these verses in context, right? Galatians 5, 1 through 6. So here, Paul, again, he had like a similar message for the church at Ephesus. Jesus had a very similar message for the church at Ephesus. Paul has a very similar message for the church in Galatia. Stay away from legalism. People just love to go back to it. I just got an email yesterday to the church. You know, the Bible says I shouldn't eat shellfish. What do you have to say, Pastor Aaron? People would get off on kooky things. I said, well, this is actually something that the, the early church, you know, dealt with in, in the book of Acts. So you need to read your Bible. You know, stay away from things, strangled things, you know, offered to idols, stay away from sexual immorality. And, and there, there you go. Just keep, keep walking in love with Jesus. And also read Galatians while you're at it. Because it's not about what you do. It's not about what you eat. People get off on the kookiest of things. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And we sing a lot of songs about you break every chain, you break every chain. Man, Jesus wants to set you free from legalism, from performance, from works, from approaching God based upon what you have done. That is a heavy yoke. Come to Jesus. His yoke is easy. It's called his love, his peace, what he does for you. Don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back to that junk. Don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to wondering, you know, if you're, if you're going to miss out, you know, if you're going to disappoint God by eating shellfish. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, and he's, he's saying if you're being, becoming circumcised in order to please God. He's saying if you're trying to do this to, to get closer to God, he says this, this is a powerful statement, Christ will profit you nothing. If you think there's something that you can do on your own to get closer to God, Jesus will profit you nothing if you try to add something to Jesus. What Jesus has done, his blood, the cross, it's not enough. I have to do this. Christ will profit you nothing. That is a, a powerful statement. And it's not from Pastor Aaron. It's from the word of God. Verse 3, and I testify again. This is something Paul probably testified and preached many times. I testify again and to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're worried about shellfish, you have a lot of other laws to be worried about as well. <laughs> Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You don't even know what Jesus did for you. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Fallen from grace is moving away from, from God's love for you. Moving away from grace, it's moving towards legalism. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Man, what a powerful statement. What avails? What actually works? Faith works, and it works by love. I love what, man, man the... John had, had just this great revelation of God's love. 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I'm really not worried about the, John's walk. You know, like worried about, was John living a sinful life there on the island of Patmos because he was so focused on God's love for him, even to the point that he called himself the beloved it's ridiculous. Last point tonight. L true love is always demonstrated. 
True love is always demonstrated. Um, Romans 5. Let's start in verse 1. True love is always demonstrated. We know that God loves us because he demonstrates it to us. He already has demonstrated it, and he's going to continue demonstrating it to us. True love is always demonstrated. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. I love that. Not about justified by what you've done. And what, man, people need to go back to what the real gospel is. Justified by faith. Again, it's not performance, it's not legalism, it's not about you, it's not about what other people do. Your relationship with God is based completely upon what Jesus has done. Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. All of this church preaches faith and preaches grace and thus preaches the love of God. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Man, having a revelation of God's love, it will cause you to rejoice. It will cause you to have hope. And even during times of difficulty, times of, of, of pressing you will experience the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of God when you're rooted and grounded in love. And you will know that God will turn things around. Verse 4, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given, who is given to us. Man, as you grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to keep drawing you closer to the love of God. Man, if you love Jesus, you're really going to love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to help you grow closer and closer in your revelation of the love of Jesus. Every single person that I met and that I ministered to and that has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were always so thankful. And one thing that that, that that experience did for them, it helped them realize how much Jesus really loves them. And they grow in that. Verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates. Say, God demonstrates his love. I love that that, that word there, it's, it's continuing. It's an ongoing thing. God is not done loving you. He's not done demonstrating his love to you. That's why you need to keep going back to it. God demonstrates his own love toward us, even that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, just think about what God has done for you. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And I, I, just, I just feel really strong tonight that God told me to just really preach on keep going back to God's love. And he reminds me all the time. I guarantee you that, that great ministers, great people like Andrew Romack, Pastor Lawson, that their life and their ministry is just not a constant cakewalk. But I guarantee that, that, that I know my dad, I know Andrew Womack, they keep going back to that first love. They keep going back to God's love for them. When they're hurt, when they're betrayed, when things don't go the way they want them to go, they keep going back to God's love for them. And if you feel like you've left that place of knowing that God loves you, or maybe you've never really experienced it for yourself in a very real, a very tangible, a, a very just light bulb type away, I want you to have that experience tonight. I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loves you. To be able to go back to that place that God loves you unconditionally, just immensely, more than you can possibly even comprehend. And I believe that tonight can be one of the greatest moments of your life. I believe that right now, God is telling you that he loves you. He is for you. He is not against you. And if you feel like you are lost, he is there waiting for you. God is not lost. He is out there with you right now. And the enemy wants to constantly deceive people and fill their hearts with lies. Lies like you are forgotten. 
Lies like you are insignificant. Lies like you are broken and beyond repair. Lies like you are unlovable. Lies like you are unworthy. Lies like no one cares about you. Lies like no one sees you. Lies that just constantly make you discontent and unthankful. Lies that get you stuck in constant comparison. That makes you feel like you are constantly less than. If that's you, that, that you the, the enemy has been working on you. You are not insignificant. You are not forgotten. You are not less than. You are not unseen. And I want to talk about how God sees you. And he sees you a lot differently than, than the way you see yourself, the way you might think other people see you as well. I, I'm going to talk about this horse now. I'm going to give you an illustration. You guys ready for this? I've been waiting for this moment with eager anticipation. So Ada turned three um, November 10th. She, at, at the time, she loved horses. And uh, for her birthday, um, a family from our church who has a ranch actually brought a horse to our house. And, and, and Ada got to ride on this horse. Other kids got to ride on this horse named Ribbons. And it was a, a cowgirl, cowboy party for Ada and Fisher. Their birthdays around the same time. And um, I, I wanted to get Ada something nice, being a good father. I got her this, what I thought was just a beautiful horse. And, uh, you know, I, I think about dollars and cents in terms of value. So this, this horse was $170. It's a nice horse. It's a radio flyer horse. It's something that's, that's good quality, something that, you know. And, and she enjoyed it for a couple days. She, she loved the sugar horse. There's a little carrot. She liked feeding, you know, the carrot to sugar horse and combing its hair. She wrote it today. It's a prophetic moment. <laughs> she wrote it. I, I haven't seen her write it in months. A few weeks after her birthday, we went to Tennessee for Thanksgiving. And while we're um, um, visiting Heather's um, family there in Tennessee, we're staying with her parents, um, Mike and um, Pastor Deborah. Pastor Deb is a great pastor. Um, Heather, we had to go to a gas station because Heather, Heather um, needed, sometimes when you're staying with your in-laws, they just don't have the, the things that you really like and that you've grown accustomed to, like the way you make your coffee and, you know. But Heather really wanted the certain drinks. We had, to, we had to go to a nearby gas station. We just took all the kids. And in the gas station, um, Heather found a, a mini Polly Pocket for like $10 for Ada. This Polly Pocket was a little tiny doll, like an inch tall, on a little moped, and on this little moped was this tiny little horse. I don't know if the camera people can even zoom in on this thing. This thing is the size of my thumbnail. It's a tiny, what do you call a pink one horse. Pink one horse. This thing was far less expensive than sugar horse. If I were to ask you, which, which horse do you think is more valuable? If I, if I started playing the comparison game, hold still. The tiny little eye. This is a pink one horse. This, this, its name is Pink One. <laughs> Anyways, Pink One had the tendency to fall off the little scooter of Miss Mini Polly Pocket. And uh, this thing fell off the scooter and got lost in Pastor Deborah's beautiful, brand new, 4,000 square foot, one level house. And Ada was so tore up, so upset. That, that everyone in this house, including Nanny, Pastor Deborah, were on their hands and knees, combing through all 4,000 square feet of this house to find pink one. <laughs> you might feel that you are cheap, that you are insignificant, that you are small, that no one sees you, no one cares about you, but I guarantee that someone thinks you are the most special, the most valuable, the most important thing in the universe. You might think you are a pink one. <laughs> and you go around just thinking, looking down about yourself with your head held down because you are not like a sugar horse. You are just a little pink one horse. But someone thinks that you, you are definitely not forgotten. You are definitely not insignificant. You are definitely not broken beyond repair. You are definitely not unlovable. You are definitely not unworthy. Someone cares about you. Someone sees you. That's God's love for you. 
It reminded me of, of this parable that Jesus taught in Luke 15, verse 8. You can turn there really quick. I'll close with these verses. Luke 15, verse 8 through 10. Jesus said, or what woman, having ten silver coins? Silver coins are not as valuable as gold coins, as bitcoins. I read that some guy got, had like the hardware for bitcoins when it first came out, and, and uh, he threw it out in the trash, like early on. And, and um, now, now the, the, the amount of bitcoin that he had is like worth $100 billion or something. And he's trying to get the permission from the city to, to go out there with bulldozers and dig up, you know, the, the year's worth of that city's trash where that Bitcoin was. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house. Now, I, I've, I've done this. Sweep the house on your hands and knees with your eye on ground level. Looking through every square foot of that house. Sleeps that house and searches carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls her friends. This is what happens when pink one is found. We let everyone know, hey, stop looking. We have something to rejoice about. Go buy a cake. We're going to celebrate. Pink one has been found. We're going to tell the neighbors about pink one. We're going to tell the whole church about pink one. Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In conclusion, you are special. God loves you more than you know. Whenever you feel lost, he is right there looking for you, right there searching for you, right there caring about you. He is rejoicing over you. Keep going back to his love for you and know that he is a great future for you and a great hope for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.